Welcome to the Council of Institutional Investors podcast on corporate governance and financial regulation. I'm Jeff Mahoney, Chairman Council of CII. The purpose of these monthly episodes is to update CII members and the general public on developments in corporate governance and financial regulation and CII's related advocacy activities. This update covers the period from January 6th to February 2nd, 2021. On January 14th, House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Maxine Waters of California sent the letter to President-elect Joe Biden requesting that he issue a memorandum on January 2nd to temporarily suspend any midnight regulations promulgated by the Trump administration, noting that there is precedent from previous incoming Democratic and Republican administrations alike. In particular, Chairwoman Waters urged the then President-elect to publish a similar memorandum requesting the heads of federal rulemaking agencies to, one, not send proposed or final rules to the Office of the Federal Register, two, withdraw any rules that have not yet been published in the Federal Register, and three, postpone the effective dates of rules at least 60 days that have not already been published in the Federal Register but which have not yet taken effect. Notably, Chairwoman Waters stresses that the agencies to which he sends such a memorandum must include the independent agencies. On January 21st, House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Waters announced the Democratic members of the committee for the 117th Congress. They include Representatives Jake Auchincloss of Massachusetts, Richie Torres of New York, and Nikema Williams of Georgia, who will join the committee this Congress. While Representatives Dean Phillips of Minnesota, Katie Porter of California, and Jennifer Wexton of Virginia will leave the committee this Congress. Also on January 21st, Representative Andy Levin of Michigan introduced the Transparency in Corporate Political Spending Act. The bill would reverse a congressional mandate that prevents the Securities and Exchange Commission from requiring corporations to disclose their political spending. Representative Levin stated that in the wake of the insurrection against our capital that was preceded by rallies funded by millions of dollars of anonymous corporate spending, it is more apparent than ever that Americans have a right to know how major companies influence our politics. Since the U.S. Supreme Court's 2010 decision in Citizens United versus FEC, allowed corporations to make unlimited political contributions, some investors have asked the SEC to require corporate disclosure of political spending. In 2011, a group of legal scholars who called themselves the Committee on Disclosure of Corporate Political Spending submitted a rulemaking petition urging the commission to require companies to disclose their political spending. They recommended using the existing proxy disclosure regime for providing information about corporate political contributions and urged the SEC to give strong consideration to requiring disclosure of corporate contributions to intermediaries that spend a large fraction of their funds on politics. The SEC received 1.2 million comments regarding the rulemaking petition, most overwhelmingly affirmed investors' desire for more transparency in corporate spending. After the rulemaking was placed on the agency's agenda in 2013, the process was stalled by the SEC's chair in 2014 and has since been obstructed by an appropriations bill policy rider that prohibits the SEC from acting on a rulemaking on corporate political spending disclosure. The Transparency and Corporate Political Spending Act would remove this policy rider. 
On January 26th, in floor remarks, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky observed that two Democratic senators confirmed they will not provide the voices to eliminate the legislative filibuster. He said that this victory will let the Senate move forward with a 50-50 power-sharing arrangement containing all the elements of the 2001 model as it will sit on the same foundation. Also on January 26th, House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Waters announced the committee members who will serve as subcommittee chairs in the 117th Congress. They include Representative Brad Sherman of California, who will serve as chair of the Subcommittee on Investor Protection, Entrepreneurship, and Capital Markets. Representative Ed Perlmutter of Colorado, who will lead the Subcommittee on Consumer Protection and Financial Institutions. Representative Emanuel Cleaver of Missouri will hold the gavel of the Subcommittee on Housing, Community Development, and Insurance. Representative Jim Hines of Connecticut will chair the Subcommittee on National Security, International Development, and Monetary Policy. Joyce Beatty of Ohio will lead the Subcommittee on Diversity and Inclusion. And Representative Val Green will serve as chair of the Subcommittee on Oversight and Investigations. On January 28th, House Financial Services Committee Chairwoman Waters issued a statement announcing that she intends to hold a hearing to examine recent stock market volatility with a focus on short selling, online trading platforms, gamification, and their systemic impact on our capital markets and retail investors. On the very same day, Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs Ranking Member Sherrod Brown of Ohio also issued a statement reporting that as incoming chair of the committee, he intends to hold a hearing on the current state of the stock market and stressing that it's time for the SEC and Congress to make the economy work for everyone, not just Wall Street. On January 29th, Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts sent a letter to Acting Securities and Exchange Commission Chair Allison Heron Lee expressing concern that recent swings in market valuation of certain publicly traded stocks have raised questions about public confidence in the market and those trading in it. Senator Warren requested information on how the commission plans to address the dramatic price fluctuations of certain shares in recent days and to ensure the integrity of capital markets. Highlighting the SEC's mission to maintain fair, orderly, and efficient markets, Senator Warren urges the commission to, among other measures, one, review recent market activity and act to ensure that markets reflect real value rather than the highly leveraged bets of wealthy traders for those who seek to inflict financial damage on those traders. Two, issue rules outlining what is meant for traders to manipulate security prices in violation of law, and three, offer guidance for market participants. Accordingly, Senator Warren requests information on, among other topics, steps the commission will take to, one, ensure that securities markets better reflect prices that are in line with the intrinsic and fundamental value of underlying securities, and two, update and implement rules defining market manipulation. Let's move now to recent events relating to the Trump and Biden administrations. On January 20th, White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain sent a regulatory freeze memorandum 
to the heads of executive departments and agencies asking that they immediately, one, propose or issue no rule in any manner, including by sending a rule to the Office of the Federal Register until a department or agency has appointed or designated by the president after noon on January 20th, 2021, reviews and approves the rule. And two, withdraw rules that have been sent to the Office of the Federal Register, but have not yet been published subject to certain specified exceptions. With respect to rules that have not been published in the Federal Register, rules that have been issued in any manner, but have not yet taken effect, Mr. Klain requests that agencies consider, one, postponing the rules effective dates for 60 days from the date of the memorandum, consistent with applicable law, and subject to certain specified exceptions for the purpose of reviewing any questions of fact, law, and policy the rules may raise. And two, opening a 30-day comment period to allow interested parties to provide comments about issues of fact, law, and policy raised by those rules and consider pending petitions for reconsideration involving such rules. Although the scope of agency actions covered by the memorandum is broader than under analogous directives issued by prior administrations, the memo is ambiguous as to whether it covers independent agencies like the Securities and Exchange Commission. Also on January 20th, President Biden announced his intent to nominate former Commodity Futures Trading Commission Chair Gary Gensler to be Securities and Exchange Commission Chair. On January 21st, President Biden designated Commissioner Allison Heron Lee as Acting Securities and Exchange Commission Chair. In a January 22nd executive order, the Biden administration instructed the Department of Labor to review rules that issued on financial factors in selecting plan investments. The rules published October 30th and effective January 12th amend the Employee Retirement Income Security Act to codify the agency's current stance that planned fiduciaries must select investments and courses of action based solely on financial considerations relevant to risk-adjusted economic value. Sources close to the administration expect the Department of Labor to issue new guidance relatively quickly, possibly to pare back the rule and new rulemaking to amend the rule within the next two years. Department of Labor first proposed the amendments June 24th and received an avalanche of criticism during the abbreviated 30-day comment period. As a result, the Department of Labor changed the final rules to specifically permit the selection of a fund that seeks to promote one or more non-pecuniary goals if the selection satisfies the duties of prudence and loyalty. The definition of pecuniary factor is modified to mean any factor that a fiduciary prudently determines is expected to have a material effect on risk and return based on appropriate investment guidelines. The final rules also delete the requirement that an ESG fund may only be selected if the fiduciary uses objective criteria. The department also removed the documentation requirement for the selection of designated investment alternatives unless that alternative is being selected in rare circumstances when fiduciaries are choosing among economically indistinguishable investments. On January 7th, the Council of Institutional Investors sent a letter to the SEC in response to a rule change proposed by NASDAQ 
to give special purpose acquisition companies, or SPACs, an additional 15 calendar days following the closing of a business combination to demonstrate that the SPAC had satisfied certain listing requirements. CII highlighted key questions that the SEC staff raised when reviewing the rule change and encouraged the SEC staff to obtain answers to those questions to help determine whether the proposed rule is consistent with the protection of investors in the public interest. CI's letter also expressed concern that the proposed listing standard change might be part of a broader effort by NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange to lower the bar for what goes on in the world of SPACs. CII's letter also cites a study of 47 SPACs that merged between January 2019 and June 2020, which found that SPACs are often insulated from liability to investors for material misstatements and omissions, and that SPAC structures generally create losses for long-term investors. Our letter concludes that CII cannot currently support approval of the proposed rule. On January 13th, CII sent a letter to the SEC urging the commission to reject NASDAQ's proposal to allow companies to raise capital by conducting a primary direct floor listing. Unlike previous direct listings, which allowed only existing investors to sell shares, this expanded form of direct listings permits companies to issue new shares and sell them to public investors in a single large transaction on the first day of trading. CI previously sent the letter October 8th opposing this NASDAQ proposal. CII argued that the proposed rule change is not consistent with provisions in the Securities Exchange Act of 1934, which require that stock exchange rules prevent fraudulent and manipulative acts and protect investors in the public interest. CI's letter also stated that the NASDAQ proposal falls short in part because it would expand direct listings without first addressing the Byzantine and costly system of share ownership, which is the focus of CII's largely inactive proxy plumbing project. As a result, share ownership would be difficult to trace to a registration statement, and a directly listed company could use untraceable shares as a legal defense in certain securities fraud actions. CI's letter also argues that direct listings may degrade corporate governance practices since direct listings allow companies to sidestep due diligence practices that generally precede a traditional initial public offering. On January 15th, CII filed a joint amicus brief in the D.C. Circuit Court supporting SEC implementation of its May 2020 order requiring the stock exchanges to improve how they oversee and govern the distribution of equity market data. The challenged order would allow representatives of key market participants, including institutional investors, to vote on issues related to the distribution of data and would require that the administrators of the distribution plans are not affiliated with the exchanges. In July 2020, the New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, and SIBO Global Markets jointly challenged the legality of the SEC's order. The exchanges argued that the SEC lacks the authority to allow parties other than the stock exchanges to have voting participation in the governance of market data distribution and the SEC lacks the authority to change voting representation among the stock exchanges on the governing board of the data distribution plans. In the 1970s, following a congressional mandate 
the nation's stock exchanges were required to make certain basic data about trades available to all through three data plans. Those plans are governed by the stock exchanges and the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. This arrangement has changed little despite radical transformation in market structure since the 70s. Most notably, the stock exchanges are now for-profit businesses and the basic data they provide is far less useful. The amicus brief notes that wide distribution of reasonably priced high quality market data, such as information on quotations and trades in each of the thousand securities traded daily in the US markets is essential information to achieving price transparency, which is a cornerstone of the US national market system. The amicus brief also explains that the market data enables investors to make informed investment decisions about when to buy and sell, provides the basis for investment and portfolio decisions, and creates confidence in the fairness and reliability of the markets. CII believes the major exchanges have not done enough to improve the data plans, in part because they are able to sell their own proprietary data feeds at much higher prices. Their continued control of the oversight of the arrangement would likely ensure the underinvestment in the basic data distribution on which ultimately every investor relies. CII was joined by the Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association, the Investors Exchange, and MXLLC in filing the amicus brief. On January 29th, the acting SEC Chair Allison Heron Lee and Commissioners Hester Peirce, Elad Roisman, and Carolyn Crenshaw issued a statement reporting that the Commission is closely monitoring and evaluating the extreme price volatility of certain stocks trading prices over the past several days, and noting that although the core market infrastructure has proven resilient under the weight of this week's extraordinary trading volumes, extreme stock price volatility has the potential to expose investors to rapid and severe losses that undermine market confidence. Specifically, they report that the SEC is working closely with its regulatory partners to ensure that regulated entities uphold their obligations to protect investors and to identify and pursue potential wrongdoing. And they pledge that the commission will closely review actions taken by regulated entities that may disadvantage investors or otherwise unduly inhibit their ability to trade certain securities. In addition, they stress that the agency will act to protect retail investors when the facts demonstrate abusive or manipulative trading activity that is prohibited by the federal securities laws, noting that market participants should be careful to avoid such activity and that issuers must ensure compliance with the federal securities laws for any contemplated offers or sales of their own securities. Finally, in other corporate governance news on January 22nd, the CII Research and Education Fund issued a report that examines the differences in how S&P 100 companies disclose the policies and practices surrounding board access to employees, both at the management level and below. The report references growing support for explicit policies that encourage director interaction with employees as a way for boards to better understand and oversee corporate culture. Overall, the report found 97% of companies in the S&P 100 
had policies stating that board members have access to either employees generally or management. About half had policies specifically granting board members access to all employees. More than one third or 36% of the companies detailed some kind of formal or informal process by which boards interact with employees. One fifth of reviewed companies disclosed both policies on employee access and a discussion of specific circumstances where board members have the opportunity to speak with employees. At a time when many boards are elevating company culture as part of their oversight of corporate strategy and risk, direct communication with employees may be a helpful supplement to other ways boards oversee culture, such as working with management in setting an appropriate tone at the top and engaging with key human resource personnel. On January 26th, Larry Fink, BlackRock's chairman and CEO, issued his annual letter to CEOs of companies in BlackRock's portfolios, urging them to disclose a plan for how their business model will be compatible with a net zero economy. Mr. Fink defined a net zero economy as one where global warming is limited to well below 2% centigrade, consistent with a global aspiration of net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. Mr. Fink also asked CEOs to disclose how their plans align with their company's long-term strategies and their board's role in reviewing the plans. Mr. Fink also called on public and private companies to disclose their sustainability performance voluntarily and voice strong support for a single global standard for sustainability disclosures, which he said will enable investors to make more informed decisions about how to achieve durable long-term returns. Mr. Fink reiterated BlackRock's endorsement of reporting aligned with the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure and the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. Mr. Fink wrote that public entities that issue debt should also disclose how they are addressing climate-related risks. And contrary to expectation, he said the COVID-19 health crisis has not overshadowed the climate threat. Fink wrote that the pandemic has presented such an existential crisis, such a stark reminder of our fragility, that it has driven us to confront the global threat of climate change more forcefully and to consider how, like the pandemic, it will alter our lives, noting that no issue ranks higher than climate change on our clients' lists of priorities. Touching on the heightened attention to racial injustice, Mr. Fink called on companies to draw from the broadest talent pool and to be transparent about their efforts. He wrote, as you issue sustainability reports, we ask that your disclosures on talent strategy fully reflect your long-term plans to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion as appropriate by region. And finally, on February 2nd, CII submitted a comment letter to the Federal Trade Commission in response to their September notice of proposed rulemaking. Those proposed rules, if adopted, would cause a substantial increase in the number of Hart Scott Rodino filings by institutional investors and asset managers, which would cause delays in purchases of securities and discourage asset manager engagement on corporate governance issues. CI's comment letter strongly opposed the proposal, stating, quote, we were surprised and disappointed by the proposed rules, which in our view would significantly worsen the chilling effect 
of the HSR Act on Issuer Investor Engagement, and in that process, substantially increase costs for investment managers and indirectly for their pension fund clients, unquote. That completes my corporate governance and financial regulatory update. If you have any questions regarding any of the issues discussed, please feel free to email me at jeff, J-E-F-F, at C-I-I.org. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening and happy Valentine's Day. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.